0: Take your Bibles, if you have your Bible, and open to Matthew chapter five. I said I was going to do that to you. I do have slides, but I want to hear pages turning, 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 turning. I brought, I brought my Bible. Matthew chapter five. It was funny. I was preparing my slides, and then I remembered. I told you not to, not, not, not. I told you to bring Bibles. Who does not have a Bible? I want to I I put a spotlight on you and shame you. Where? Okay, all right. Oh, well, there's not very many of you, but so there you go. I'm going to give it to you because I'm an indulgent parent. Now, I'm going to read from a translation that's not that one. So if it's different, it's fine. What am I reading from? Modern English Version. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how shall it be made salty? I could have got a better translation. <laughs> it is from then on good for nothing to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket or, uh, but on a candlestick. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. All right. Who's had anything happen to them this week that keeps them from obeying this scripture? You haven't. That's the point. You can shine. You you are what you are. How many of you understand that whatever's going on in the world doesn't determine who I am? Doesn't define me? Doesn't doesn't hold me into a a limit? Nothing can hold me back. I can't be listening to to those guys singing songs like they're singing and be stressed out about what's going on in the world. I'm not afraid. All right. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm trying to get you remember when you first met Jesus? If, if you don't, if you don't, then just first meet him tonight. Because I want you to know, if you were like me and you came from darkness to light when you first met Jesus, you were like, you 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 couldn't believe anybody was bothered by anything. I mean, really. All right, so we have a plague. So we have a. So we have politics, lots of politics. If we got politics, by the way, new rule. No more, y'all know when you're trained and you're trained in prophesying, you don't prophesy dates, mates, or babies, or politics. (laughs) New rule, new rule. Stop, just stop. You don't know and I don't want to hear your explanation later. (laughs) Politics are like babies, you get what you get. (laughs) Receive it and deal with it. (laughs) Hallelujah. I promise you, when your kids turn to teenagers, none of you asked for that. (laughs) <laughs> hallelujah but of course I, all I had to do is think back to when I was a teenager and I go well I sure was sewing into it I might not have been asking for it but I was sowing into it <laughs> hallelujah I'm going to talk about politics tonight of course <laughs> of course <laughs> why not look at Look at the title of this thing, Christians at the Crossroads. The kingdom of man and the kingdom of heaven. Can we talk? Let's just do this. Come on, and while we're doing this, let's get it even, let's give it even more muddier. Let's do this text. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. Come on. I would. You bet I would. Revelation chapter 20. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven. How many times does he say, say that in the book of Revelation? Having a key to the bottomless pit and having a great chain in his hand. And he sees the dragon, that is the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more more. until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a little while. I saw thrones and those who sat on them. And the authority to judge was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness of Jesus And for the word of God, they had not worshiped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who takes part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. All right, who wants to know what that means? In about six months, I'll be teaching on that in the book of Revelation. (laughs) Yes, I'm doing the bait and switch on you tonight. I'm defrauding you. I'm giving you two passages, two kingdom passages. One about a city set on a hill. One about uh, those who, who reign with Christ for a 1,000 years. You're in a church with a strange name. We used to call it a wonky name. It's called New Life City. Don't call us New Life City Church. We're New Life City. The city is the church. We don't need to say it twice. That's redundant. Don't be repeating yourself. We are an, a city of new life. We are a city of people who have passed from death into life. We are a city of people who are in this world, but yeah. not of this world. We are a city of, this, of, uh, we're a city of people who are alive from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get this in you, man. Get it. Get this in you, woman. You got to get this. So last week, I gave you a little lesson on Martin Luther. This week, I'm gonna give you a little lesson on Augustine. It's not, it's, not, it's not Augustine, it's Augustine. And no, I ain't talking about that guy in, 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 in whatever, Lonesome Dove. <laughs> but first, I gotta talk to you, you know, but first... How many of you know who Constantine is? Flavius Valerius Constantinius. He was Constantine the Great. He reigned uh, from 306 to 337. 337 was the year of his death. How many of you have heard of Constantine? You've heard of Constantine, Right? Constantine's a strange character. In fact, all the people in the ancient world that you read about, you're like, well, we can't figure them out. Why am I talking about Constantine? Because we're talking about politics. Y'all brought it up. You said we didn't either? Yeah, every one of you. I looked at every one of you tonight and said, they're thinking about it. Had a word of Knowledge. can't get this stuff just anywhere. (laughs) Well, Constantine was a Roman emperor. He went into battle in 312. They say he and his army saw a vision of the cross in the sky. In other words, not just one person, Apparently, he didn't really know what it was. And he heard a voice in Tutor Nika. In this sign, conquer. Purportedly, he took that sign and fashioned it onto their armor. Went into battle and won. and begin a journey that would be his conversion to Christianity. The Roman emperors had spent 300 years dealing with Christianity and Christians. My my, uh, historical theology professor asked me to do a paper when I was in seminary 100 years ago Tracing, he wanted me to trace the uh, changes in policy of the Roman emperors toward Christians in the first 300 years of the church. And how it affected, I was, I'm like, well, I can do that. I went and did my paper and you know that guy gave me a C. (laughs) He said, no, you earned it. But it set me on a, a journey of being interested in history. And I've always been interested. I love history because here's the thing you find out. It's not what you think. And that's where, that's where conspiracy theories come from, by the way. <laughs> because you all are looking at what's going on you're saying it's not what you think. <laughs> you're stressed out about it. And you want to get to the bottom of it and it ain't going to work. Hallelujah. This is, listen, I'm so glad I'm a Christian. Because I'd be a whole lot more stressed out about this stuff if I wasn't. So I got thinking about this stuff. And uh, you, guys, you guys know that, that Constantine is known for the Edict of Milan. the The Roman Empire was divided at that time and he and his rival emperor came together. They brought the thing together. And they issued the Edict of Milan. What it did, it granted religious toleration to Christianity. In essence, by the, by the end of the 4th century, it had made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now you think of this. Uh, a religious faith that did not have a standing. They were Christians were religio illicita not a legal religion. And it wasn't as if that for 300 years they just incessantly tried to stamp them out, but it meant that intermittently over the course of 300 years, when, when things uh, in the emperor's mind merited it, they would uh, issue orders that would call for the increasing of pressure. You should pay attention to history and find out that it's kind of a principle that the victims end up conquering those who oppress them. You, you need to figure this out. This is just reality. He was a significant man. By the way, his, his conversion was doubted uh, and is doubted by many people and 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 what? But 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 I'm noticed. I'm I'm interested in a couple things. I'm interested in the fact that there's supernatural activity. In fact, when I got to digging into what I wanted to talk to you about, there were there were supernatural occurrences that were happening, and there were people asking what the natural occurrences meant, and they were looking for answers in in the realm of the unseen over and over. I just add to you that he uh, that he. He uh, actually called the Council of Nicaea. Uh, if you don't know what that is, the Nicene Creed came out of that, and uh, it was it was sort of one of the one of the high points of dealing with heresies about Christology. And if you're in my systematic class, you have to know about it a lot, but you're not. And. Um, it was the council at which Arianism was condemned, which was a, which was a heresy that uh, made Christ less than very God of very God. Anyway, he was baptized on his deathbed. So I, I just set the stage for that. Why? Because what you have now is you have a 100 years of the Roman Empire having at its head those who were favorable to or participants in Christianity. Now, you think of it. You you think of it. In other words, Christians had political standing for the first time in their history. Uh, by the way, lots of people look back on this time and, and they'll tell you that everything that's wrong with the church started with Constantine and uh, it... it Others won't. I'm like, anything that you think is the sure answer to anything, you're wrong. Nothing is just one simple answer. Life is very complex. History is very complex. But I want you to have the flavor of where they were. Because Christians are always asking where we are. So, then this happened, 410. Look here. I was in 312, now I'm in 410. And Alaric and the Visigoths sweep down into Italy, a Germanic tribe, and they conquer Rome. you have to understand what it meant in Christendom for for Rome. Rome became that shining city on a hill. Rome became that symbol of God's great presence in the earth. Rome became a source of, of actual hope. To see Rome fall Here's what it does. It caused every issue of their lives to come into question. And there it is. I give it to you right there. The pagans were saying, well, you know, if you're a pagan, you're saying, what happened? And here's what they said. They said, well, those Christians came in and they made us weak with their love and their belief in heaven. They really did. But they went further. They said, and because we stopped sacrificing to our gods, the gods have finally taken out their wrath on us. You can see this, can't you? Listen, a hundred years of uh, of, a, of a Christian veneer over a culture doesn't end the paganism. People still practice their religions in secret and in, and underneath, same way Christians do. But... Now they said, oh, this is we, we, understand. we know what's happened. It's the Christians' fault. And then the Christians, oh man, the Christians were just as goofy. They were saying, what's happening? And guess what? They retreated into their eschatology. And guess what? There were people with doomsday eschatology in the fourth century, which is now the fifth century. There were people that had the, they had the same kinds of eschatologies that we had. In fact, speci- well, am I going to get there? Yeah. If I don't get there, I'll come back and circle around. I forget what I put in my notes. Um, but out of this also comes kingdom theology. Now, there are two great, uh, um, there were many more, but there were two specifically great leaders in Christendom at the time. And uh, it's really important, man. It's, listen. <laughs> you know what you do in this period of time? You start acting like Christians and obey Jesus Christ. Not even a peep, a few nods. The biggest thing that's going on with Christianity nowadays is that the world can't tell the difference. In fact, I would be very happy for us to be less successful so that there would be an ability to distinguish us from who who we are from who we're not. So I'm saying I've been bemoaning all all the apostasy that's going on. It's probably a good thing. They went out from us they were not of us that's what John said you say well you sound grumpy I am but I'm kind of happy grumpy and just so y'all know I'm married to mama gail and she's she's already told me off this week about my grumpiness you don't, you don't believe it, you, you can, she's proud of it. <laughs> it was good, it was good, I was taking notes. Well, I want you to meet somebody else. I want you to meet Eusebius, Hieronymus, Siphronius, better known as Jerome. Jerome. Hallelujah. I love this guy because uh, he, was, he was born. <laughs> I got a snort. I like that. <laughs> Hallelujah. I got a daughter that snorts when she laughs. She's famous for it. <laughs> hey, listen, Jerome was a scholar. And just like today, you think it just happens today. Jerome fell in love with his scholarship. In fact, I'm going to tell you about two scholars and both of them were high-level scholars that have changed history. He was in love with his scholarship and he had a dream and in his dream he stood before the judgment seat of Christ and was and was told you're not a follower of you're a follower of Cicero, not of Christ. And guess what happened to him? He got converted. Like really converted to the real Jesus. He went off for five years and lived as an ascetic in the Syrian desert learning Hebrew. Yeah, go do that. So, you know, all of y'all that are grumped out about what's going on in the country, go do that. He was he was quite a scholar. And he got commissioned to start translating the Bible into Latin. 382 he began and he did it for 23 years. And by the time he was done, he had produced a document called the Latin Vulgate, which was the the Latin translation of the the Bible. Now, um, you're right about, that word vulgate, it sounds like vulgar because thats it, it, it means common. And what it means is he put the language, he put the scriptures into the common language of the people. So he learned Hebrew, translated the Bible into the Latin vulgate. He has to, had to also learn Greek in there because he translated that as well. It's a... Interesting thing. He, uh, I just include for you that he included the apocryphal books. That if you've ever wondered where the apocryphal books came from, the the you know the you know how the Catholics say they got extra books. The the apocryphal books uh, really they came from the fact that that uh, Jerome uh, translated translated them. But even at the time, he saw them as for edification not as part of the official canon. And it didn't actually become part of the official canon of the church for a thousand years. It wasn't until you see it up there, the Council of Trent, when the the Latin Vulgate became the official Bible of Roman Catholicism, and it still is. All right? Now, you needed to know all that. So you can go home and say, I, I had a graduate class at church tonight. Got my head full of stuff. Now, Jerome it was living in Bethlehem. And when, when the Visigoths sacked Rome, refugees fled all over the world and one of the places they fled was to Jerome and Jerome as one of the leaders of the church he has to be a guide tells them what do we do now what do we do now and Jerome's eschatology determined what he did i'll come to it but first i want to meet you one more guy one more Guy with a big name, Augustinius Aurelius. Or if you will, Augustine of Hippo. Hippo is in Algeria, if you're wondering where that was. So you've got St. You've got, uh, Augustine and St. Jerome. And if you're all wigged out religiously because I use Saint before their name, then come see me and I'll call you Saint after church. <laughs> Put you on level ground. St. Cullen, that's a good one. That's a good one right there. Y'all go over there and see St. Cullen. He'll help you out. <laughs> he will. He'll help you. Augustine, and I want, to, here, I want you to see this also. Augustine was also a scholar. He was also a student of Cicero. He, was a, he had a Christian mother, Monica, and he had a, and he had a pagan dad but he spent most of his days, listen, he was a very contemporary kind of guy. He was basically led by his passions. You know, he's the one that prayed that prayer, Lord, make me good, but not yet. (laughs) You thought you invented that prayer. (laughs) You thought you made that one up yourself. Well, his conversion was something because Uh, He was around Christianity a lot, but he didn't embrace it. And then in in 386, he heard children's voices. Take it and read it. Take it and read it. Now, by the way, I think he actually heard children's voices. I think he heard them uh, singing a little ditty, but he said he didn't know of any song where those words came from. But it somehow pierced his spirit, and so he took it and read it. That is to say, he took the book that was close to him, the book of Romans, and you know what he did? He did what you do when you hadn't read your Bible in 30 years and you want God to speak to you. He just opened it and put it, you know. (laughs) He played some Bible roulette. And he put his finger on, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, which was how he was living, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he read that and it stabbed him to his spirit. And you know that dude got converted, like really got converted, like on the spot, so converted he went and told his mother, when you go tell your mother you're converted. <laughs> I mean, Jesus made him alive. That was in uh, 386. He was discipled in Ambrose, another saint. Not ambrosia, that stuff you eat. Ambrose baptized him on the eve of Easter in 387. Became a priest four years later some say with a hook in his jaw, pretty much the way Augustine did stuff. And five years later, he was a bishop and spent his, spent his rest of his adult life as a bishop. Jerome was in Bethlehem. Augustine was in North Africa when the Visigoths sacked Rome. The refugees flooded. Is there any word from God? Does God have anything to say? (laughs) You're going to love this. Jerome had just, listen, along with his work, translating the Bible in and it, and, and I guess, did I, put, did I put it on there? It took him 23 years, yeah. So along with that work, he was writing commentaries, and he actually was writing a commentary on Daniel, finishing up a commentary on Daniel. But he had an eschatology that, where Jerome believed that, listen, that, that the emperor in Rome was the restrainer of of Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians. And that after he would perish, 10 armies of the pagans would come. So Jerome has an eschatology that this is the end of the world. And... It was time to go hide in caves. And so literally, he would tell people to he, and he was very much an ascetic, and he lived that kind of life and stuff. and, and so they, he retreated again. I'm saying this because listen, one of the responses to problem in culture is for people to escape, to withdraw. Over the history of time when Christians can't physically leave, they tend to withdraw into little communes or little sects, groups that are exclusive, that close out the world. I told Gail a few years ago when the, when the Supreme Court ruled on gay marriage that I fully expected to see... More Christians retreating into into their own little world. I still expect to see more of it in an increasing way. I'm kind of tempted to it. You know, Mama Gail's been asking me for a quiet life for a long time. We kind of have done that already we found ourselves a little quiet place. Although I intend to come out here and bother you three or four times a week. That was his his eschatology, the way he thought, determined his life. So Augustine, there it is, O Augustine began to write a book that would come to be called The City of God, and he wrote for 13 years. It's one of the most mammoth works in the history of the world. And you know what he did? You see, because here's what happened everybody's saying, What's going on? And everybody's saying, where's God? And people are blaming Christians. So he writes the city of God both as a defense of Christianity and as an explanation of what is happening. And I want you to know that his explanation stands up pretty pretty well to this day. And it might be called... The, uh, the beginnings of a systematic kingdom theology. Yeah. Oh, you can't call it the beginning because Jesus is the beginning of kingdom theology. But this might be the beginning of working out. What does that mean, kingdom theology? He said, we are simultaneously citizens of two cities. A city of man... And of the city of God. And we ha- and we have to, first of all, not confuse the two. The city of man is not the city of God. So get this. This is my response to the political narrative. The city of man, De- Democrat and Republican, is not the city of God. Amen. This is why I tell you all the time, those are salvation narratives. That, are, that fall short of kingdom theology. Each of them bears resemblances of things that would be true of people in the kingdom. Neither of them can reach it because neither of them has as its basis the transcendent worship of a king of kings and a lord of lords over all, through all, and in you all. And so the city of man, we live in it. And I've got to tell you, I've probably been more stirred up about this. I, think I, I don't think I've ever in my life been so stirred up about this. Now, you say, well, what are you going to do? Well, I don't intend to stop participating. And in fact, I expect to increase my participation in the things that have to do with the, with the, with the, with the city of man. Why? Because man is there. Humanity, human beings, people, with destinies, eternal and temporal, people with lives that matter, people with pain and hope, people in the image of God. They're there. And old Augustine unpacked it, man. He unpacked it. Don't confuse the city of man with the city of God. Don't say this is this. He's the one that Keeps us from, uh, when people have this, this, uh, this seven mountain strategy, so so to speak, of taking over the realms of society. No, don't. Live in them. Speak to them. Influence them. Take over nothing. You'll do well to take over yourself for a day or two. <laughs> I'm going with Danny Silk now. A good day is a day when I can tell myself what to do and pull it off. All you got to do is set a box of cookies out in the open, and you you can't do that. You can't tell yourself what to do, <laughs> right? Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Cookies is almost the universal. You, you can almost not find somebody that hates cookies. If you can, they probably need to go on to heaven now. Help them. If it ain't cookies, it's ice cream. You know, people, they, they always tell you, if you won't eat ice cream, you'll live longer. And I always say, what would be the point? And the city of God, the city of God, He said, in the midst of the city of man is a city on a hill comprised of those who have sworn their self to allegiance to the king, comprised of those who see the rider on the white horse and follow in his train, composed of those who know him, who are in this world and not of this world, And so, listen, don't miss this. By the time Augustine was done writing his thing, hallelujah, I didn't actually look at my clock and I'm happy about it because I wasn't finished and I wasn't gonna finish fast. Are y'all all right? By the time he was finished with his writing, Another Germanic tribe, the Vandals, have made their way not only to the sea, but across the sea and into North Africa. And they are coming. And old Augustine finds himself as a a bishop. And by the way, he was something else, that man. He traveled more than... He traveled as much as any bishop you know today to his churches and to his people. He was a pastor's pastor. And he dealt with heresies that were going on in the world of his time. The Donatist heresy and the Pelagian heresy. Go look them up. You won't understand them even after you read it. No, you will. But when the vandals are are at the gate, you know what he does? He becomes part of the defense of his people. And he becomes a full participant. Augustine, after all, is the one who wrote the principles of a just war. Because he had to deal with, what do you do? You're a bishop. What do you do? When those who, you know, you had questions. It wasn't any small question. It wasn't going to be long before what happened to Rome was going to happen to North Africa. And so he wrote these things. In fact, look it up. Right now to this day, if you look up the principles of just war, you will do two things. One, you will be in awe of that kind of thinking. And two, you'll be ashamed that we don't practice it. We could talk more. He contracted a disease plague and in 430 I think I wrote 4, uh, 320 I'm sorry um, in, in, I gave you the wrong date in 430 he died as the city was falling into the hands of the vandals now you think about it now listen don't miss this While his life work was being destroyed before his eyes, he died. So, chin up. <laughs> right? We don't put our hope in the city of man. Put our hope in the city of God. We don't sing like we sing and worship like we worship because we think we're going to walk out of here and it's going to go our way and be our way and everything's going to be okay. We worship like we do. We praise like we do. We hit our eye like we do. We have, a, we have a vision that is not merely this world. And at the same time, our vision of the other world compels us to engage ourselves fully in everything we can in this world for the greatest outcome for people everywhere because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Stand together and apologies if they're needed. You know, before, before COVID, we always went an hour and 45 minutes before we even started praying for people. And then during COVID, we went down to an hour and a half, and y'all are coming back, and I'm getting encouraged, so we're going, big, we're going bigger. Yeah. Because I like what Stephen's doing, I want him to give us more, not less. Yeah. Get ready. Let's have, the, let's have the communion. Let's receive Jesus. Let's receive Jesus. I think that made sense. Did that make sense? You know what I did? All I did was tell you what you already know. I gave you some historical framework, but I just told you what you already know. Now, listen, guys, Jesus, the real Jesus, the living Jesus, loves us. And he has said that that he wants us to come to a table where he is the meal. What a king! What a king. He can create the world. He can become one of us in the world. The uncreated one can become a creature. And then we can take bread and he can inhabit it. (laughs) You know, he said, you have to eat my flesh. And he gave them bread. And he tells us we're gonna eat his flesh. He gives us bread. The unleavened bread. Let me say it a different way than I normally say it. This is Jesus given to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We receive you tonight. Amen. So confusing, it was the Christian message at times that Christians were accused of being cannibals. You eat flesh and drink blood. Now think about it. When Jesus proclaimed it to them, he didn't explain it to them and he let them be offended about it. And then he did it. And the night that he was betrayed and he took the cup, I don't think they understood it. But so arresting was this one that they gladly did what he asked them. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. This is the blood of Christ. Receive it.